0: broadcasting live from the RNR studios in Las
1: Vegas Nevada. It's the premier destination for an inside look into the Las Vegas Raiders. You're in the huddle with Vinny Monsignor and Lincoln Kennedy, presented by Tequila Embajador. what's good Raider Nation. Welcome back to Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. I am Vinny Monsignor joined by Lincoln Kennedy. Um Brought to you by Tequila and butter. you're in the huddle. And we're going to go out to the Raider Nation guest line and welcome in pro football focus, uh, Steve Palazzo. Uh, Palazzolo, sorry about that, Steve. Um, and Steve, first of all, thanks for spending some time with us in the huddle. How are you doing, my friend?
2: I'm doing great, and uh, pronunciation was perfect. You nailed it. All
1: good. Um, you know, I'm looking at your at PFF underscore Steve and I should have done the same thing. I'm Vinnie Bonsignor. So it's a little bit difficult. I should have done that. That's probably uh, <laughs> a little bit uh, much better handle for people to remember. But um, Steve, I got to ask you right off the top. And I'm, a, I'm an avid follower of Pro Football Focus. Um, I, uh, I you know, I'm a loyal subscriber. Uh, it's a tool that I use covering the writers for the Las Vegas Review Journal. So there's no uh, doubt about it um, that I highly recommend it. Um, A couple weeks ago, obviously John Gruden um, has to resign, and uh, it was interesting, kind of monitoring the national take on all of this, Um, in particular what he left behind and the work that he left behind uh, in his wake. And there were some extreme takes out there, and I wanted to get your thoughts on this in terms of the roster itself. And I I saw um, you know abstract failure John Gruden was in putting together this roster. And from your perspective, you grade these players. Your, your uh, publication, um, that's what you guys do is you break it down, you grade uh, these guys, and, and so you have a unique perspective on where this roster is. Uh, as we assess the four years that John Gruden was here, specifically as it relates to what he left behind, this team, um, where, do, I, I, where do you feel um, it, his, his stay here with the Raiders um, is and was?
2: Yeah, it's a it's a great question and I would say slightly better than I thought they were. I mean, because I'm I'm looking at a five and two team right now that looks that looks pretty good, right? That looks legit and has improved in some key areas, especially defensively. So you know, if you would ask me at the beginning of the season what 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 to make of the John Gruden era, I would say good job getting the offense on track. I think step by step they got the offense into a good spot. And, you know, you saw, showed Derek Carr, you know, there was a point in Derek Carr's career back in 2016 where he looked like, hey, here's a perennial top 10 quarterback. He's, he's taking big steps. 16 was a great season for him before he got hurt. Then he kind of tapered off a little bit. And I think, you know, Gruden, they got him back on track, added some playmakers, developed some playmakers. I still see the development there. So I liked the offense. And my big question was like, man, the defense didn't get better at all. Under Gruden. and then this year you see just a much better pass rush. They hit on some free agents and Casey Hayward and Yannick Ngakwe. Max Crosby breaks out; has one of the he's one of the best uh, best pass rushers in the NFL right now. So maybe there are some pieces on defense. That was my big concern coming into the year. I said, hey, they'll sustain offense; they're good there. You need to see some improvement defensively. You drafted Nate Hobbs, who fits the system really well. So I think they're moving in the right direction there. So overall, a little bit better than I expected, especially if this defense keeps it up.
1: Yeah, and we're talking to Steve Palazzolo from uh, Pro Football Focus. Let's stay with Derek Carr. Um, you know, I was I, I didn't cover the Raiders or start covering the Raiders till a couple of years ago, and I was always kept an eye on him um, from afar, and it just seemed like it was never working. And I always felt like he was getting a lot of criticism uh, along the way, especially when I got here and saw how divisive it was. You're either a Derek Carr guy or you hated him, and it still kind of is that. Um, I, the, the quarterback that I've covered uh, has gotten better uh, each year, but I also believe, um, and we're seeing this a little bit in the opposite way with Patrick Mahomes, not to compare those two quarterbacks, but how important it is to have good teams around you, defensively, offensive line, running game, weapons, all of that goes hand in hand. And now that Derek Carr does seemingly have uh, those, those pieces in place, is it him getting better or just him playing the way he's capable of alongside much better players?
2: I think it's always a combination of both. You know, I think uh, I think it's. I use the term mid tier for quarterbacks quite a bit. And I, that's not a disparaging remark. You know, those guys are awesome. But there's a there's a big chunk of quarterbacks who are more dependent on their supporting cast. I think Carr has always been in that group, maybe the top end of that group now. Um, so that's a that's certainly a factor. But the thing I like the most, I actually wrote an article about this on PFF.com a couple of years ago. When you have that, quote unquote, mid tier quarterback, a guy that is divisive, exactly what you described, right? Ah, he's good. I, I believe in him. Oh, maybe I don't. You know, and, and you kind of go back and forth. When you have that guy, I think the best play is to be really aggressive, is to let that, especially if you have a guy like Derek Carr, who's got a, just a fantastic arm, great touch. Uh, he can make all those throws down the field. Is In 2018 and 19, he was hardly throwing the ball down the field. He was very conservative. And I wrote this whole article, on if you have those guys, you've got to be aggressive chuck it down the field see what happens play play a little bit more of a volatile game uh you know for lack of a better term and they started to do that last year and they're really doing it this year and Derek Carr's number one in our big time throw metric those are our you know our highest graded throws accurate on time down the field Carr has been pinpoint, and I think it's just this overall aggressiveness of the offense that has unlocked what Carr is capable of and I think it's been great for his development coinciding with the Henry Ruggs being out there, Darren Waller becoming one of the most uncoverable players in the league. So, it's been fun to watch and it's it's been great to see Carr tapping into that the arm talent that he has because I feel like it was uh, they weren't doing that for a couple of years.
0: Steve, speaking of metrics, what the uh, tell talk to me put it in perspective on how you guys grade offensive linemen.
2: Yeah, so uh you know, we spl- split up pass blocking and run blocking from a pass blocking standpoint, we're essentially asking linemen, you know, don't lose So there's this expectation that you're not going to lose. And then we give negative grades based off. If you do lose on a given play, uh, it can be anywhere from a minus 0.5 to a minus one, minus 1.5, depending on, you know, if you lose a one-on-one really quickly, that's, that's worse than say, you know, getting bull rushed a little bit to like the top of the pocket. So we go play by play. We do that from a pass blocking standpoint, from a run blocking standpoint where, you know, did you add value on the given play? Did you, you know, double team, the three technique right into the linebacker, you know, the right tackle and guard can both get positive grades on those plays. If you lose a block, you can get negative. So it's going through every single play and trying to add production based context, not did you bend your knees or did you have bad, a bad punch or bad hand position? It's just, did you win? Did you lose on a play by play basis? And then kind of add it all up in the end.
1: Um, shocking that you would get an offensive line uh, question from uh, Lincoln Kennedy, one of the greats to ever do it. But piggybacking feel, I'm being off quizzed. of that, I hope that I hope that's satisfactory for Lincoln there. I hope
0: that's <laughs> it, it is. Um, we'll, we'll ask more later, but it is for right now. Okay.
1: <laughs> okay. <laughs> um. But piggybacking on that, because, um, you know, I, I, I obviously follow uh, uh, the Raiders' um, grades uh, diligently. And we I did see that you had, um, that you guys had uh, Alex Leatherwood, uh, who's undoubtedly struggling at times, uh, both at right tackle and, and at right guard. I think he's kind of found his footing a little bit more at right guard. But as a, for instance, like last week, he, he graded out as an 8.1. Um, at first, I thought it was might have been a typo. I'm thinking 8.1. That's like just, you know out of 100 it's it's horrible but in his case was did and i didn't see many you know there weren't he didn't uh car didn't get sacked um there were some pressures without without question and a few hits but um that like that that kind of a grade in particular when it's that egregious and that bad um like how bad was he getting beaten uh, uh you know in, in from you guys's perspective i'm
2: watching four of the pressures right now so part of it is uh <laughs> Is the perspective right when you're a guard? Guards just the expectations are different. Guards don't lose a ton, so if you have a four or five pressure game, that's right. really bad at guard, which is different than tackle. Um, the other thing is you mentioned the sack total. but the The way we grade is essentially you know isolating the blocker versus the pass rusher, and so whether or not if you have a bad block, whether or not that becomes a sack or just a pressure or a QB hit. Uh, it's very much on the quarterback and the supporting cast and, you know, did receivers get open and all that stuff. And last week in particular, pretty much the ball came out quickly, even though Leatherwood whiffed on a few blocks. So uh, sack totals really aren't a good way to mm-hmm. to evaluate offensive linemen because, again, you know, if a bad block can become anything after that. So um, that was what happened in pass protection. We had 37 dropbacks. We had them with uh, five pretty bad losses in there, four of which became pressures. And that's just a really high number for guards, and you know it doesn't always show up until you you know watch the tape. And I think if we watch went back and saw, we'd say, "Hey, those are those are pretty bad blocks, and a high percentage of bad blocks for for a guard."
0: Well, Steve, then the same question for defensive linemen from the, from a defensive standpoint: if if the defensive man doesn't beat his guy or doesn't make the tackle or get in the, get in the hole, is he downgraded? Is 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 does it is that affect that way as well?
2: Yeah, so it's it's not completely adversarial, but yeah, a lot of times the guy that's, you know, beating up on the guard, say uh, will get the same grade, but like in reverse from a positive standpoint. So yeah, we expect pass rushers to uh, you know, to win. You know, when they win, they get positives and it's kind of the kind of the same story. We always say don't judge pass rushers by sack totals. That's you know, 5% of their plays. You know, the guys who win one-on-ones more often, those guys tend to be, you know, th- that actually projects to the future sacks better than just looking at sack totals. So I think there's a lot of guys that stumble into sack totals here and there, um, which is a little bit you know dependent on other other things. The guys who win quickly and most consistently are the best pass rushers year out over year, and they tend to also lead the league in sacks. So yeah, we look at uh, defensive linemen from the from the opposite standpoint.
1: We're talking to Steve uh, Palazzolo from uh, Pro Football Focus. Real quick, one more on uh, on Alex Leatherwood. Uh, he did have a pretty good um, run block grade uh, according to Pro Football Focus last week, and that's been his strength. Uh, and and there's no doubt that pass blocking has been a work in progress. Uh, but from from where you guys are, are, are looking at him, um, do you feel like there's there, that there's a foundation there uh, for him to build on, and that he can be? Maybe what the Raiders had hoped he was going to be uh, before it's all said and done.
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, we have a lot of data on offensive linemen, and it takes it takes why it is the one position that takes the biggest jump in years three and four. And I think that's intuitive, right? We've it's either some guys are growing into their body, you know, just you're you're playing against grown men instead of college kids. I mean, it is a tough. There's such a mental component. I've never run into an offensive lineman who isn't really really smart, Lincoln. Uh, because you guys have so much to process uh, at the line of scrimmage, so we see a lot of improvement in linemen in years three and four. There's always a breakout there. And Leatherwood was—he had some of the most impressive run blocks out of anybody in the draft block last year, playing left tackle at Alabama. I mean, his highlight reel was incredible. So that's always been a good part of his game. And uh, yeah, now it's just a matter of cleaning things up from a pass protection standpoint, and that you know is is a challenge when you're moving from left tackle then to right tackle into right guard. Yeah. So yeah, it's, he's been put into a challenging uh, situation. Our, you know, our perspective at PFF is, you know, we understand the context, but we have to you know, grade what we see and then say, hey, look, the context is he's, he's been asked to do a, a lot here as a rookie. Right. Lincoln?
0: Yeah, I, you know, I was just thinking about the, the, the whole analytics stuff and, and putting it all together and, and how much film or how much you guys have to do with it to evaluate every player throughout the games. But looking forward, how have you seen coaches and and, and, uh, and players take to the information being processed, uh, and how they, what type of uh, feedback have you gotten from them?
2: Yeah, I mean, we, we get negative feedback from players if their grades aren't good. We know of that. Of course, That's yeah, yeah, bad. yeah. That's <laughs> <be> expected, right? <laughs> uh, but expected, right? Look, we, we work with all 32 NFL teams, you know, and, and there are 32 different ways of using our data. There, there are a lot of coaches who love to use our stuff for one-on-one matchups, finding strengths and weaknesses, we're able to, you know, if, if Alex wants to go see you know, his 10 negative plays or something from a given game or 10 positives, you could see that at the click of a button. So we've seen a lot of that around the NFL uh, efficiently, uh, using uh, game planning more efficiently, uh, giving players, uh, e- it's easier to give them assignments as far as, you know, studying their opponents. Uh, coaches are certainly making better fourth down decisions and being a little bit more aggressive, increasing win probability, which is a lot of stuff that we've worked on. Um, and then just from like a front office standpoint, uh, we grade because we grade every player from a production standpoint. That's different from scouting. So we have a lot of teams that just put our grades right up against their team grades, and it's a check and a balance, and it's a it's another reference point, um, especially when we disagree. Figuring out where those disagreements are, and um, you know, just just adding more information. So uh, we're used differently by every organization, but uh, pretty extensively, whether it's at the coaching level, player level, or from a front office standpoint.
1: Talking to Steve Palazzolo from uh, Pro Football Focus. Uh, there's two guys that um, I need to ask you about, uh, and they're uh, a couple of rookie secondary uh, players for the Raiders that are just playing, I think, at, at a fairly high level. Uh, number one, Nate Hobbs, uh, a fifth-round pick out of Illinois. I don't think anyone saw this coming, although when you saw him in in OTAs and then training camp, it just was a guy that you couldn't take your eyes off uh, in practice. He was always doing something. Um If you could quickly talk about him
2: and where he's at so far as a rookie, yeah, Hobbs has been fantastic. You know, he's been one of the highest graded rookies, uh, especially on the defensive side of the ball. And I think when you look at the Gus Bradley system, uh, he's had success developing these slot corners, uh, actually fifth rounders. You know, Desmond King, uh, when he was with uh, when he was with the Chargers, uh, Gus Bradley got a lot of production out of him. And, you know, so the, the the Seattle cover three type of scheme, you know, I think Hobbs has taken to that being the slot in that in that uh, in that system. It doesn't give up big plays. And yeah, he's been he's been fantastic so far.
1: And then uh, also Jonathan Abram, I know that he made or excuse me, uh, Trayvon Morig, uh, the rookie from TCU, um, who kind of struggled a little early on. Uh, but I feel like he's been moving in the right direction. Uh, your assessment of uh, Trayvon?
2: Yeah, we liked him a lot coming out of TCU. I thought he had some of the best pure free safety skills, and, and we've seen that a little bit. He had a really nice interception like a couple of weeks ago, uh, high-pointing it, really nice job, it, it broke up a couple passes. I think he just uh, – at TCU, you saw him patrolling the field smoothly and under control, and, and I think you're seeing a lot of that. Again, after a slow start from a grading standpoint, he's been really good over these last couple of weeks. So, um I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan of Merrig, and I thought, you know, they. I, I thought he was one of the steals of the draft in the second round. So, uh, so far, so good playing free safety for them.
1: I agree, uh, Steve Palazzolo, Thank you so much for spending some time with us uh, in the huddle, and thank you for talking Raider Nation, maybe off the ledge on Alex Leatherwood. It takes a <laughs> while for offensive linemen. This is the. It might be in in taught. You know, my partner is Lincoln Kennedy, so I get um, yeah. a great insight on that. It's it's one of the hardest positions uh, to make the transfer to from from the nf from college football to the NFL. I know all positions are hard. Uh, but, but man, uh, the, those offensive linemen uh, are 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 get challenged early on, and it, it could be a work in progress. So thanks for that. <laughs> Truly thanks, appreciate Steve. that. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Be be
2: patient. Be patient. Yeah. They're still moving
1: the ball too. So. True story. Yeah. It, thanks, there guys. you go. There you go. Steve, thanks so much for spending some time with us in the huddle. Really appreciate it. That was Steve Palazzolo from Pro Football Focus, and you can follow him at PFF underscore Steve. Uh, and I think he made some great points, especially about Alex and and Lincoln. Look at Colton Miller, right? Um, when did he make his big time move? Last year and this year, what is that? That's his third and fourth year, or yeah, or, yeah uh, third and fourth year. So um, second and third year, it's it's important to keep that in mind, especially with the young offensive linemen.
0: Well, I mean, also difficult. keeping th- you know, when you talk about Colton Miller, he was thrusted in as a rookie, came in and play and played more, because was probably arguably one of the most difficult positions on the offensive line, left tackle, and he was playing hurt because there was out of yep. necessity. So that's when they drafted Brandon Parker and, and Colton Miller. And so, you know, Colton Miller was thrust into that position, and he had to learn his way, he took his lumps. Now he's playing progressively better, which, you know, goes to Steve's point, which I've always said, it's going to take time. Yep. Uh, and, and it's going to take time not only for them to succeed individually, but it's going to take time for them to see on on a, on a, on a, on a, a teamwork uh, method. And that's the hardest thing about it, getting them all on the same page at the same time.
1: And as he said, they're still moving the ball, and they're still yep. sc- scoring a lot of points. So uh, there you go. Uh, uh, you're in the huddle with you here and Lincoln Kennedy, brought to you by Tequila and Bajador, Raider Nation Radio, 920 a.m. on a Thursday. Interact with the show. Text Benny and Lincoln on the Salmon Ash text line at 69187. Or tweet them at Benny Bonsignor and at LKennedy72. This is In the Huddle with Benny Bonsignor and Lincoln Kennedy on Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. Back out to the Raider Nation listener line. Michael is in Oregon. How are you doing, Michael? Looks like Michael is not on uh, the line. Uh, Lincoln, um, by the way, thanks to Steve Palazzo uh, from um, Palazzolo from uh, Football Focus. Uh, appreciated his insight, uh, but Lincoln in particular about the young offensive lineman. And, you know, you could probably throw Andre James in there as well. He's making his first start um, in his That's career so. as yeah. the starting center, the first mm-hmm. go as a starting center. You know, um, even for him, it's it's hard to get better just sitting on the bench. Yes, there's development going on. There's classroom work going on. He's getting practice reps, um, you know, these last three years, but there's nothing like strapping on the helmet and going out and playing against the best players in the world, snap in and snap out uh, in in terms of progress and development.
0: No doubt about it. And that's why I said there's, you know, there are certain positions at this game that you just need reps. Offensive lineman is one of those because, you, you know, you can, a Defensive lineman, more times than not, is not going to give you the same thing on every play, on every pass play, um, if he's worth a damn. Um, and so you have to learn how to adjust your body. You're not have to learn how to defeat him. You're going to have to see what his strengths are and and what he's going to try to use against you. And you kind of do that through film study. But the more experience that you get, the slower the game goes for you. Um, and, I, I mean, I remember um, Chris Mims. My first year at a, at a guard in Atlanta, Chris Mims was playing with the Rams. And I thought the guy was going to try to run through me. He ran around me so fast, I I, I was stuck in my, like I was stuck in my stance, uh, the move that he made. So um, it, it's an eye-opening experience when you get out there and you're done at full speed.
1: Um, Lincoln, what did you think about uh, the grading system in terms of, you know, even though it didn't result in a sack, even though it, necess- it didn't always result in a pressure, um, you didn't make the block, so therefore you get a minus on the, on the play. I, I don't know. Um, I don't know how to feel about that necessarily, but I'm going to ask you. You're an offensive lineman. Do you feel like that's a fair way uh, to look at things? You know, uh, tomato, tomato, to
0: each his own. The thing is, is that if you miss a block as an offensive lineman and he makes a tackle, obviously you get a minus. You know what I mean? Right. But if you miss the block and he he takes him, he runs himself out of the play, you know why should you get a lower grade or on on that because you missed a block or you got beat? Well, get get keep in mind the guys over there get paid too. So, it, it, you know when it comes to the true analytics and and you know how super sensitive guys are. Hell, they're sensitive about their Madden grades. They they think they should be higher than they are. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, they're, they're super sensitive. I I just think it's it's I have a hard time understanding how truly. True, it could be what kind of computer system you have, and 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 how can you can truly grade it? If the player doesn't make a play, you know, like I said, it was, back in the day, it was either satisfactory or minus. You know, so if you you were running to the right, you reach to the right, and the and the guy, the defensive lineman, all of a sudden, you know, went to his right real fast, like in essence, winning went up under you. If he didn't make the play, we didn't get a minus. That's what I'm. That's what I'm, what I'm saying with it. Yeah, that yeah, that's if, that's, if, the, that's if, the thing.
1: If you're not if, you know, it's it's hard to, you know, um, I don't know. It's just it's, it's hard for me to, uh, to to wrap my head around. If, if your guy's not wreaking some sort of a havoc, right. especially on those pass rush uh, plays, you know, if, if you kept your quarterback clean one way or another, whether it looked pretty or whatever the case might be, I, I don't know. I, I, I tend to think you did your job.
0: That's the way I kind of refer to it, and that's why I said, "You, yeah, there's a lot of things about the analytics that I don't get into, or can't get into, because I just have a hard time seeing if somebody is watching that much film on every play. So, on average, let's figure it out. You've got 11 players on the field, right? You got usually on average on, on an offensive day, you're going anywhere from 70, 75 plays, depending on the offense. That's on right. average. Um, you got five. somebody, yeah, times five, and you've got somebody who's who's doing. Um. Uh, yeah. All that times five, and breaking it down to get a grade out by what Tuesday or Monday or Tuesday. So obviously they've it's got usually some computer, out by
1: Monday. Yeah.
0: Yeah. They've got some computer system in place, and I just have a hard time figuring if that if that computer can really take into because the eye test will tell you if it could take into consideration that did that defensive lineman make the play or did that defensive outside linebacker make the play or so how can you be truly graded? Are you downgraded uh, for getting um, uh, only a two yard gain versus a four yard gain on a run? You know what I mean? Those types of things.
1: Well, yeah, and, and they do have – you know, they have former coaches that are part of their grading. Oh, yeah,
0: yeah. Chris Collinsworth, panel. when he created that thing or helped create that thing, I knew what, what he was going for, what he was looking for in it. And it's been productive. I mean, there are people who live by the analytics. I, 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 I don't have a problem with that. It's just how to say how truly effective the grading system is. Because if you turn that on, Alex Leatherwood said, look, you got an eight this last game. Like, damn, out of 100, what did I do wrong? I mean, I, I, I stank up the joint,
1: didn't I? So, right. I mean, You know, that there were four, you know, he, he did give up, apparently four four pressures. Yeah. Yeah. Which, you know, definitely, but that's, they dropped back quite a bit. So I to say eight, I don't know. That's the one that I had, um, a a little bit of a, 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 of an issue with, but you know, um, they they have their way of looking at things, and for the most part, I thought he was a fair in how he assessed things and explained things. And uh, no, no,
0: I yeah, I mean, I think there's a method to the madness. Obviously, you got to explain yeah. your way out of it, but yeah, it's just it's it's something that you know to each his own. Like I said,
1: I still wonder, and this is not I love Pro Football Focus. I I subscribe to it and I rely on it, but and I forgot to ask him about this. I do wonder. Marcus Mariota's one play, one run that he had this year, uh it was it, it was graded as a 64. He was he had a 64 run grade on a 33 and all he had was one run and it was a 33 yeah. yard run which to me, I mean, I I guarantee you that play was not designed to go 33. Is, is are they literally <laughs> saying that play was designed to go, you know, more know. yards? Yeah, I
0: don't know. I really don't know. 33. <laughs> you're you're like
1: high five and everybody yeah. on the sidelines on a 33 Same yard thing. run from a quarter but Anyway, it's, it's all fun, and uh, and for the most part, and I truly mean this, Pro Football Focus, for me, has been very, very, very useful. Uh, out to the Raider Nation listener line. Raider T is on the line. How you doing, Raider T? Dude, hey, how
3: are you guys doing?
1: Very good, thank you.
3: Hey, so I've got two things for you. Um, number one, um, um, in terms of like the offensive line and the trade deadline, Um, I was really happy to see them pick up DJ Fluker. I think that's a guy that can play guard or tackle. So I don't think they pick him up unless they, you know, at least want to look at him to see if he can help improve the line. So I'm happy with that. Um, But the other thing is, um, you know, I was reading an article a couple days ago saying that Mitchell Swartz is almost done with his uh, rehab, that he wasn't quite ready to come back. And that's a guy I'd like them to, like, kick the tires on. If he's fully healthy and recovered, because I think that's a guy that could definitely help out at right tackle because it's kind of been a you know rotating door of who they're pl- putting there to try and um, have a serviceable right tackle. Um, secondly, uh, I want a quick comment on um, Mark Davis's comments at the owners' meeting. It kind of echoes what I was telling or you know, called in about a month ago or three weeks ago. Whenever um, the group thing went down, you know he indicated that. You know, basically, he was upset with the timing of this release. That the NFL had this information, you know, back in June, and they could have come to, you know, the Raiders and let them know, hey, there's a problem here. You, you know, you may want to address this because I, I find it hard to believe that, like, for example, if this would have been Kyle Shanahan or um, John Lynch that had this issue, I, I don't believe for one second the NFL wouldn't have gone to the 49ers' ownership and try to you know, make them aware of it, to try and deal, deal with it in a less embarrassing manner, maybe deal with it and sweep it under the rug. So it's just, uh, you know, I, there's not much we can do. It's over. You know, you can't cry over spilled milk. But I just think it's another example of how, you know, the Raiders get the short end of the stick from the NFL when it comes to, you know, concern for them. I, I feel like um, Mark Davis also kind of indicated that as well in some of his statements and You know, it is what it is, but um, I think it's just more evidence of that. So I don't know what you guys think about that or the the offensive line situation, but I wanted to throw that out there on the table.
1: Well, uh, I really appreciate the call, Raider T. And and Lincoln, you know, in today's today's world, um, generally speaking, you have like um, human resource departments, right, and rules and regulations, of course. Um, I'm not necessarily sure that – You know, firing is the first option or asking somebody to resign is the first option, Um, especially with private businesses. A lot of times uh, I've I've never been in this position before. I haven't done anything like that um, and I won't. But uh, usually there's like some classes or something that's offered like you you try to rehabilitate the person first before kicking them to the curb. Um, You know what I'm saying? So maybe he's got it. Raider T might have a point of um, maybe maybe you approach the team and say, Hey, look, this is what we found. Uh, I think your guy needs some serious help. Um, This, this, you know, um, and if he gets it and, you know, maybe this is something that you keep, you know, on the down low and and give him a chance to redeem himself. I don't know. Um, What what do you think about that?
0: Well, I mean, I think if, if, because when the as long as they had the information, I think that that would be only fair. You don't rush to judgment against somebody. If it comes out in June, you say, we hear about these emails in June. Like, okay, well, hey, you know, John Gruden, hey, you got to address this. Um, it's before the season. It's before training camp. Let's get all this stuff out of the way. And then if you, you know, you find out that he, he has an issue or needs some classing or, you know, coaching or something like that, then that's something certainly that you can pursue. It's not a distraction. If it happens in the all season. you have enough time to prepare on how to deal with it and show that you're working towards it. Maybe he has to donate, you know, $5 million to, you know, a woman's fund. I don't know. You know, whatever oh, the key. The, the let me ask
1: money. you this. Let me ask you this under that scenario um do you think maybe you just do it privately um and 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 try to work is anything
0: ever been ever private anymore well that's what i'm saying (laughs) i I could
1: i could i know that and and definitely and there's always the risk that it's gonna come out and uh but but first but but it just seems like maybe the first thing to do uh if you had it in June is approach the Raiders and approach John Gruden and saying, Hey, we found this. It's, 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 it didn't happen yesterday. We right. understand that. Um, but it did happen over a period of time and it's kind of showing a little bit of a pattern um, in how you, you know, uh, uh, communicate with this one particular person. Yeah. Um, we need you to get help and yeah. maybe like, like not go public with it, but try to give him a chance maybe to, to handle it, um, you know, privately. It I don't know. I don't know if that's the right way to do it, um, but it, it, I, I I know that in in certain companies that's the first thing that usually happens before, yeah. you know, and then and then if there's continued slip ups, that then it then it escalates things, uh, to, to suspension or potential firing and, and so you know, you, Raider T brings up a good point. You, you, you look at this and say, would it have been handled a little bit a little bit differently if it wasn't John Gruden, or if it was somebody you know, uh, Coach X from from Team B? I don't I don't know. You know, yeah. But I, I think
0: that you know, given the amount of time, you could have d- definitely addressed it, and then you know, you could have let John explain himself. You know, after it, hey, to get a concise before you're having to rush to judgment. Because honestly, you know, what John did when he resigned is he said, I didn't want to be a distraction to the team. And right. he would have been a distraction, especially with everything that came out on that Monday, if he didn't step down.
1: Yeah. You know, it, it would have been like a, a huge distraction. Exactly. It was like a, um, you know, uh, what, 72 hours? Uh, I got to get my math straight. But it was, it all unfolded like just in warp speed. Yeah. and Again, that's what I think the Raiders have a little bit of an issue with. Like back in June, maybe we could have helped him get better in terms of the way he looks at things, the way he communicates. Was it deserving of this guy's just got to go and his life you know, gets taken away from him and livelihood and and, and all of that? Um, I, the, I don't know. I mean, the yeah. way it was presented, yes, the way it all came out is like, wow, this guy's got to go. But if you have a little bit more time to deal with it and sit down and talk to him and say, hey, you know, you need to get some help. And right. and we're demanding that you get some help. You know, maybe that was the better way to handle it. I don't know. It's a very complicated issue, but it does raise some questions of had it been a different team, would it have been handled a little bit differently? And, and certainly, you know, if there was one specific person that he really offended, and that was the boss of all bosses, the commissioner of the NFL, and you have to wonder if that, how much that played a factor in it. See, NFL. I have to
0: believe that if it was another team, it would have been handled the same way. I, I, I okay. just can't. If, if When you talk about the timeline, you talk about Friday, and then you talk about what you saw on Monday, I don't know if you could have handled it any different.
1: Well, what about – I think the question Raider T was asking is, if you had it in June, would you have approached the team back in June? If, if Why was it – why – you know uh, and i i think to, the, to in, in defense of the NFL perhaps i don't know exactly how it all played out but maybe it took them time remember they got 650,000 emails it right. wasn't just those but those were definitely i'm sure red marked and you got to look at these first because this is this is pretty egregious if they had this in june even if it was going to come out the way it came out in in a in warp speed in june like if you just took, if you if, if it all played out exactly the same back in june before games had become um you know involved it would have been obviously a, a different kind of a blow for the Raiders it still would have been a blow but it would right. have been a different the timing would have been different and also I'm with you though i I can't see that the NFL ah, I don't know I don't know if, if if it was a different team back in june w- would they have approached that team privately because I'll say this too lincoln there's some things that we already kind of know are being kept pretty private right now oh without
0: a doubt yeah yeah
1: without a doubt you know
0: and yeah and, that, and that's just it that's why i'm like you know for someone to leak it out obviously you had a big name you had a on a, a coach on a premier team a, a standout coach it's not just like you know one of those coaches you don't know everyone knew who john gruden was so you know it wasn't like it was it was just a, a uh, a situation where there's a no-name coach on a, a so relatively obscure team, and the fact that the team was in a position where they were they still had a winning record at the time, and everything kind of hit the fan.
1: Yeah, because what we do know about, I mean, you know, if you if you um, if you listen to the women that were involved uh, in Washington, there were some people that were put in some really bad positions and vulnerable positions and hurtful positions. So there was literally victims in that case Mm -hmm. that came forward and said, Hey, I'm not putting up with this anymore. I shouldn't have to in my workplace. And, you know, as bad as what John Gruden did and said, and I'm not condoning it at all. He didn't physically, he didn't literally hurt anybody in particular, you know, like it was, it was, it's just, I don't know. It's, 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 it's interesting because when you look at what's going on in Washington and what we don't know about what I, what exactly happened, that's where the, that's where I'm a little bit conflicted. Like, How come? Why don't Mm -hmm. we know? I know the reasons why we don't know, because it's sealed information, but so, too, were those emails. Um, All even the John Gruden stuff, they came out, they came uh, about as part of an investigation that was supposed to be just privileged information between the lawyers uh, and the people that hired them to investigate. Um, So it's just kind of interesting how that part of it came out. But we don't know exactly what happened. Um, in the rest of this investigation, other than, other than the fact that somebody got fined $10 million right. and had to relinquish control of the, their team. That rarely happened. So, something had to have happened for right. that to happen. Yeah. Uh, out to the Raider Nation listener line, uh, Domenico is on the line. How you doing, buddy? Hey, do we got you, buddy?
4: Yeah, you got me. I'm sorry. I don't know what happened there, but hey, I gotta All get. I gotta get. I gotta get this name down for you. You're Italiano, man. You got to get this name down, Domenico. What day do we play football? We play on Sunday. Well, yeah. There you go. Got it. I got Ah. You, okay. All right. Hey. So listen, I actually called for something different, but I do want to add. I really appreciate listening to Lincoln's feedback on here because really appreciate the player perspective, especially in situations like whether you're talking about O-line, you're talking about uh, the other day, we we're talking about off days, uh, bye weeks and then also with the Gruden thing, to get perspective from, from those in the trenches, those who've, who've been involved, those who've had relationships with some of these folks is always uh, a, a really positive thing. So I appreciate it. So I wanted to throw that out there. Um, so I wanted to talk uh, uh, Derek Carr as far as putting, putting some respect on this man's name at this stage. Uh, I hope I'm not getting out of, out of uh, uh, what what the uh, the intention was of the, the show today as far as I think that was a topic. But, you know, this man put some respect on this guy's name already. I mean, I think, you know, as Raider fans, we need to be careful what we keep wishing for, which is, you know, I was sitting in, in the stands on Monday night against the Chargers listening to, to some of the fans around me, and, and everybody's pissing and moaning about, uh, 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 Derek, you know, they're mad at Derek. They can't stand Derek. You want to, you know, go try and draft another quarterback and hope that you're going to get a home run with this one because, you know, it, it doesn't work like that. You know, not everybody's going to get lucky and pick a Tom Brady and have his situation happen the way it happened. Not everybody's going to get lucky and pick a Patrick Mahomes and, and, and get lucky with that situation as far as seeing what you can see. Uh, uh, you, you don't know what you're getting. It, 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 it's the luck of the draw a lot of times. You've got, you got a guy here who's, who's faithful. He's diehard. He puts it all out there. I think, if I'm not mistaken, he played with a broken back, for crying out loud. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, he, he puts up major stats. He, he, he competes at a high level. He shows up every day. He's a class act. He's not a, he's not a knucklehead uh, uh, as far as, you know, just act, acting acting a fool. Put, put some respect on this man's name at this stage. If the money thing, you know, it's going to be interesting because you got Max who's going to be coming up with something. This guy's playing into an elite contract. Oh, we lost Dominico.
1: I appreciate it, brother. Uh, thanks for the uh, call. We got to uh, get to a break. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor and Lincoln Kennedy brought to you by Tequila and Bajador. Raider Nation Radio 920 a.m. on a Thursday. You're listening to Raider Nation Radio 920 a.m. Now back to your hosts, Vinny Bonsignor and Lincoln Kennedy. Eddie is in L.A. How you doing, Eddie in L.A.? <laughs>
5: Hey, how are you doing, Vinny? How are you doing, Link?
1: What's up? Good, 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 good.
5: Yeah, no, no. Um, one of these, you know, I think you guys bring up a great topic about John Gruden and how it all transpired. It's hard from afar not to think it, was, it wasn't it was targeted just because if they had the information back in June in the summer, then why they couldn't get it out. But it is what it is. Um, as far as what I do want to say is uh, a couple calls before was bringing up Derek Carr. I think Derek Carr has been our franchise quarterback ever since he came out on that preseason game. I mean, the guy has, hasn't had a complete team around him. I think he finally has it now. Working with Chucky, I think it took him to a different level. It's a shame that how everything transpired. I would love to see how the season would have continued with him here, but he's not here again. But I honestly, what do you guys think they need to do right now in the trade deadline to help this team to keep pushing towards the playoffs?
1: man it's a great question uh, eddie and and i i was on a a show in hawaii by the way uh, earlier today lincoln and it's hard to find uh, an area that i think that is is so pressing where they've got to get bring somebody in and even if you are talking about the offensive line uh what's difficult and problematic about that is you know to insert a new player into that five-man configuration and that dynamic and rubik's cube if you will and expecting anything better than what they're getting right now it's 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 almost as if like you said just let this group of five play and then if if Richie Incognito comes back um that's great too and if you can get something out of him that would be that would be awesome but uh that would be the only area that I'm looking at right now for like serious upgrades but even at that I don't it's it's so late right now I don't know if it, it would
0: yeah I don't know if it would be worthy necessarily of an upgrade but I right. do think you know, I was kind of mulling it over, and a couple. to address a couple points. One of a couple callers earlier was talking about Mitchell Schwartz, the tackle used to be with the, um, the Chiefs, um, had back surgery. Now, from what I read not too long ago, he's still rehabbing that back, and he's still um, having some nerve issues. Um, but it's fortunate enough they said he won't have to have another surgery, so that's promising if he wants to come back. I say that to say this he might not be healthy enough. He's a free agent. He might not be healthy enough to pass a physical. And the last thing you want to do is bring in a guy who's had back issues and thrust him all of a sudden into the the lineup where he's trying to block people. So I think you have to be sensitive on that. But, you know, somebody that came to mind, and he was with the team a few years back, was tight end Lee Smith. Now, Lee, I think, went to Buffalo, if I'm I'm not sure where he's at right now. But, um He was. He might be in Atlanta right now. I think. Um, He was a guy that was a good blocking tight end. He wasn't the guy who was going to get you yards. He wasn't Darren Waller or a Foster Moreau. But I say that because, to me, Foster. One of the things that Foster struggles at is blocking. Right. Blocking big defensive ends. Blocking big outside linebackers. He struggles at blocking. One way that you can help solidify the run game and make it more effective is by having a tight end who's capable of blocking the perimeter, help you block the edge to help you close down and be able to do those stretch runs. If they had a guy like Lee, then I think they could probably do that a lot more effectively. Like we saw when they brought in Nick Martin, Right. This past game to help solidify that because they're you know let's face it they're just down on tight ends yeah um, uh, you, you 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 need that sort of jumbo package at your availability and I really think it would help on goal line because you know to be honest you know Foster but in putting those positions a lot of times has been a liability not an asset
1: yep uh, so that that would be a position uh, I would I would think about as well let's go out to uh, Raider Ramon the Raider witch doctor how you doing buddy
6: hey what's going on fellas. I just, uh you know, I just wanted to say um this book b s is very uncannery in the fact that um well, let's look at the history behind uh players coaches uh saying some unsavory uh BS, uh in the nFL league you know I can go back to you know, I, what I'm trying—I'm not trying to give John Gruden a pass, but I'm trying to say, you know, wait a minute, man, wait a freaking minute. Name calling is name calling. You know, I grew up in the hood, and uh, you know, we we call it capping. You know, you got capped on, or which is a form of name calling. Uh, I grew up—well, uh, I didn't grow up, but I lived in London. They call it ranking. You ranked on somebody. You call them names. I'm not saying name calling is good, but I'm saying people do it, and it's funny, and they're trying to joke. Okay. Uh, with that being said, uh, you know, in the league, uh, we've we've seen and heard some unsavory things uh, by by players. Uh, what was that white dude's name that that played for Philadelphia? He was on camera. And was was distributing the n word, you know, unsavory, and he was the wide receiver for Philadelphia Eagles.
1: You yep, know, I remember that. Mm-hmm.
6: Riley Cooper. But hey, guys, we're running out of show, yeah. so I'll, I'll let you respond.
1: Yeah, uh, Raider Ramon, thanks for the call. Yeah, it's just I think I think the fact that it was there was just so many um, there was so much, uh, and it came double fisted that one and then the other um it it just it it was too much and you know i think that the raiders did the right thing and everything worked out the way it should have worked out um it's just it it's it it makes you wonder again you had it in june um could there have been a better way to maybe handle it for especially for the raiders and those players um and and so that they didn't have to deal with, you know, all this uh, in the middle of the season. I want to say thanks uh, to Steve uh, Palazzolo for joining us from Pro Football Focus, uh, you know, uh, shedding some light on their grading system. Uh, always a great uh, asset and always great delight, uh, enlightenment. Uh, Lincoln, thanks so much. Uh, I will see you. Uh, enjoy the weekend. We'll you see too, talk to you next week. Absolutely. Um, Simon Cotton holding it down uh, at home base. Appreciate you, brother. Thank you so much uh, to the listeners. I'll be back at it tomorrow, four to six p.m. I'll be live over at the Treasure Island, uh, the Golden Circle Sportsbook. So uh, come check me out there, four to six p.m. in the huddle. Brought to you by Tequila Embajador Raider Nation Radio, nine twenty a.m.